Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we evolve your brain with weird and wonderful science. I'm Ian Wolfe. In this episode, we deep dive into the times when humans almost became extinct. But first, here's news of rats using their imagination. Imaginative rats. Researchers from the Howard Hughes Medical Institute's Janelia Research Campus have found that rats have an imagination. The team used virtual reality and a brain-machine interface to probe the rat's inner thoughts. They found that, like humans, animals can think about places and objects that aren't right in front of them. They can imagine walking to a location or moving a remote object to a specific spot. And now, they have virtual reality and a brain-machine interface. Like humans, when rodents experience places and events, particular neural activity patterns are activated in the hippocampus, an area of the brain responsible for spatial memory. This study found that rats can voluntarily generate these activity patterns to recall locations distant from their current position. The project began nine years ago when two researchers wanted to find out for certain if animals think. Together, their labs work to develop a system to understand what animals are thinking, a real-time thought detector that could measure neural activity and translate what it meant. The system uses a brain-machine interface, which provides a direct connection between brain activity and an external device. In the team system, the brain-machine interface produces a connection between the electrical activity in the rat's hippocampus and its position in a 360-degree virtual reality arena. The hippocampus stores mental maps of the world involved in recalling past events and imagining future scenarios. Memory recall involves generation of specific hippocampal activity patterns related to places and events. But no one knew whether animals could voluntarily control this activity. The brain-machine interface allows the researchers to test whether a rat can activate hippocampal activity to just think about a location in the arena without physically going there, essentially detecting if the animal is able to imagine going to the location. Once they developed their system, the researchers had to create the thought dictionary that would allow them to decode the rat's brain signals. This dictionary compiles what activity patterns look like when the rat experiences something, in this case, locations in the virtual reality arena. To do this, the rat is harnessed in the virtual reality system. As the rat walks on a spherical treadmill, its movements are translated on the 360-degree screen. The rat is rewarded when it navigates to its goal. At the same time, the brain-machine interface system records the rat's hippocampal activity. The researchers can see which neurons are activated when the rat navigates the arena to reach each goal. 
These signals provide the basis for a real-time hippocampal brain-machine interface, with the brain's activity translated into actions on the screen. The next step is that the researchers disconnect the treadmill and reward the rat for reproducing the hippocampal activity pattern associated with a particular goal location. In this jumper task, named after the 2008 movie of the same name, the brain-machine interface translates the animal's brain activity into motion on the virtual reality screen. So basically, the animal uses its thoughts to navigate to the reward by thinking about where they need to go to get the reward, and then the system makes it look like they've teleported there. This thought process is something humans experience regularly. For example, when you're asked to go pick up groceries at a familiar shop, you might imagine the locations you'll pass along the way before you ever leave the house. In the second task, a Jedi task, the rat moves an object to a location by thinking about it. The rat is fixed into a virtual place, but moves an object in the virtual reality to a goal in the VR space by controlling its hippocampal activity. Like how a person in their office might imagine taking a cup next to the coffee machine and filling it with coffee. And in this case, you see it happening on the screen as you think about it. The researchers change the location of the goal, requiring the animal to produce activity patterns associated with the new location. Already, this system sounds like it has amazing potential for games. The team found that rats can precisely and flexibly control their hippocampal activity in the same way humans do. The animals are also able to sustain this hippocampal activity, holding their thoughts on a given location for many seconds, a time frame similar to the one that humans relive past events or imagine new scenarios. The rat can activate the representation of places in the environment without going there. Even if its physical body is fixed in a location, the rat's spatial thoughts can go to a remote place. The authors of the study say this ability to imagine locations far away from one's current position is fundamental to remembering past events and imagining possible futures. So the new work shows that animals, like humans, have a form of imagination. The research shows that brain-machine interfaces can be used to probe the activity of the hippocampus, providing a novel system for studying this important region of the brain. Because a brain-machine interface is used more and more in prosthetics, the authors hope this new work opens up the possibility for designing new prosthetic devices based on the same principles. I really think somebody is going to make a lot of money translating, translating this way of detecting where you imagine a location into a virtual reality location on a screen into a game system and a virtual reality system for humans. Imagine if you're in a simulation and instead of typing in a command, you just think of where you want to go and you go there. The paper was titled Volitional Activation of Remote Place Representations with a Hippocampal Brain Machine Interface and was published in the journal Science. Sending to Ian Wolf.
on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on diffusionradio.com. In the realm of science, we journey so far, exploring the mysteries of every shining star. With wonder, we delve into the unknown, seeking truths that only science has shown. Oh, the wonders of science, technology, and medicine, unveiling miracles that our world has never seen. From the depths of the oceans to the highest peak, they bring us hope and healing, answers we seek. Humans almost died out several times, which explains not only why we're the only species of human left standing, but also why we're all so much more closely related to each other than gorillas are to gorillas and chimpanzees to chimpanzees. These almost extinctions are also known as population bottlenecks, when the breeding population of humans becomes so small that genetic variation is massively lowered, and we become inbred. What almost wiped us out most times was climate change. Homo erectus first evolved about 1.9 million years ago. They were the first early human species to become a true global traveller. Human Agaster lived in Africa, and Homo erectus lived in Asia. Modern humans evolved from Homo erectus, but Homo erectus continued as its own species alongside us a long time after our ancestors split away. Around 1.2 to 1.1 million years ago, researchers have estimated that between our ancient ancestor, Homo agaster in Africa and Homo erectus in Asia, the entire human race, including children, was made up of just 26,000 people. This means that the breeding population of fertile adults was just 18,000. So there were fewer humans than there are gorillas today. Gorillas are classified as a critically endangered species. There are now estimated to be around 316,000 western gorillas in the wild and 5,000 eastern gorillas. The evidence is that an ice age pushed the European climate to beyond what archaic humans could tolerate, according to a study published in August 2023 in the journal Science. Extreme glacial cooling likely led to hominin depopulation of Europe in the early Pleistocene. Ocean sediments from 1.1 million years ago show average temperatures suddenly dropped by more than 5 degrees Celsius which would have made it impossible for our ancestors to survive anywhere in Europe, because they didn't have heating or warm clothes. This absence of humans from the European continent lasted for about 200,000 years, before humans from Africa adapted to the climate change and returned to colonise Europe again. Around 800,000 to 900,000 years ago, another severe cooling period put humans at risk. This period of history is known as the Middle Pleistocene, or the Chilbanean, a time when the Earth's magnetic field last reversed. Data from the genomes of 3,154 modern humans suggests that the population was reduced from about 100,000 people to just 1,280 individuals around 900,000 years ago. That's a population reduction of 98.7% that lasted 117,000 years and could have brought humanity to extinction. 
The decline happened with climate change that led to long periods of the glaciers growing and spreading across the landscape, a drop in sea surface temperatures, and possibly long periods of drought in Africa and Eurasia, and the loss of many species that people relied on for food. Our last common ancestor with Neanderthals, and another now-extinct human species called Denisovians, were also thought to live during this period 900,000 years ago. Professor Giorgio Manzi, a senior author of the research and anthropologist at Sapienza University of Rome, said that we know that between 900,000 and 600,000 years ago, the fossil record in Africa is very scarce, if not almost absent, while both before and after we have a greater number of fossil evidence. The same can be said for Eurasia. For example, in Europe, we have a human species known at around 800,000 years ago, and then nothing for about 200,000 years. At this time, humans fused two chromosomes into one. Modern humans have 23 pairs of chromosomes. All other hominids alive today, including gorillas, chimpanzees, bonobos and orangutans, have 24 chromosomes. The formation of chromosome 2 seems to have been a speciation event that encouraged humans on a different evolutionary path. Professor Chris Stringer, the head of human origins at the Natural History Museum in London, said things were so dire that it was remarkable the human species survived. For a population of that size, you just need one bad climate event. An epidemic, a volcanic eruption, and you're gone, he told The Guardian. Around 195,000 years ago, the world once again started to undergo a big cooling change. But the scale of the glacial phase was so threatening that some scientists believe our breeding numbers dropped to as low as just 600 individuals. Those that survive appeared to thrive only after settling beside the sea in what's now South Africa. This was important because the area happened to be rich in plants that stored their energy below the surface of the soil, such as yams, as well as having relatively warm waters nearby, which allowed shellfish to flourish. Both of these factors provided Homo sapiens living there with just enough food to survive and allowed our species to evolve into the humans we are today. Researchers think that Homo erectus weren't so lucky and became extinct around that time around 110,000 years ago. It's clear that humans haven't done well in extreme cooling events, but there was a very different threat that almost wiped us out just over 70,000 years ago. Rather than an ice age, it was the largest volcanic eruption in history that nearly brought an end to our existence. The volcano was situated on the island of Sumatra in Indonesia. The Toba super eruption fired out some 3,000 cubic kilometres of rock and ash, which spread across the world, blocking out the sun and creating a volcanic winter, which lasted at least 10 years. Yes, this is similar to the nuclear winter, projected from a nuclear weapons exchange, that could also block out the sun. And it could also happen if a large asteroid hit the Earth and caused dust and debris to block the sun. It's also a danger of the various plans to block the sun by the fossil fuel lobby so they can keep burning fuel in business as usual. Such was the extent of the volcanic winter catastrophe that it killed off huge swathes of animal and plant life 
while also killing off so many people that we were reduced to just a few thousand survivors. It used to be thought that only people in parts of Africa survived this volcanic winter. But in 2020, a study found evidence that humans in India also survived the fallout. Researchers assessed an 80,000-year-old long record of rock layers from the Daba site in northern India's Middle Son Valley. Tools made from stone were found which coincide with the timing of the Toba event, showing that humans in India were already using Stone Age tools when it erupted. The site also showed evidence that the use of tools persisted after the 10 years winter, proof that the people who created them survived. The Toba eruption was so massive that all that's left of the entire mountain is the enormous Lake Toba, which stretches 100 kilometres long, 30 kilometres wide, and up to half a kilometre deep. Between 25,000 and 40,000 years ago, climate change wiped out our Neanderthal cousins. Computer analysis suggested in 2020 that Neanderthals may have failed to adapt to a rapidly cooling climate because they lost most of their climatic niche. A climatic niche is a locale where conditions are just right for the species to survive. Not too hot, dry, cold or barren. Researchers investigated temperature, rainfall and other data over the last 5 million years to get a gauge of the climate for every 1,000 year window. This has led them to believe that climate change probably killed off Neanderthals between 25,000 and 40,000 years ago. Neanderthals were tougher, stronger and more cold adapted than modern humans. And it's now thought that they were as smart as modern humans and interbred with us. They're us. The genes for greater immunity to disease live on in modern populations, but these same Neanderthal genes can also be responsible for allergies and other disorders. It was a trade-off. But the Neanderthal genes persist because they help people survive. It may be that modern humans survived and Neanderthals didn't purely because our ancestors already lived in a warmer and more fertile area when things changed. Another early human species, Homo florensiensis, nicknamed the Hobbit, who lived on the island of Flores in Indonesia, also died out around this time. Although what killed them off is a mystery. Two million people live on the island today. These events meant that Homo sapiens were left as the sole surviving species in the once diverse human family tree allowing us to massively grow our population. 7,000 years ago, in the Neolithic or New Stone Age period, fewer men were fathering children, which caused a genetic bottleneck that reduced genetic diversity, causing humans to become more closely related and at risk of extinction. Over the next 2,000 years, and seen across Africa, Europe and Asia, the genetic diversity of the Y chromosome collapsed becoming as though there were only one man for every 17 women. Or as if the population numbers had been divided by 17. It's a huge drop. The genes on the Y chromosome get passed down from father to son, which means the event mostly affected men. Very few women are born with a Y chromosome, and those women don't develop ovaries, so they can't give birth. A drop in genetic diversity doesn't mean there was necessarily a drop in population. 
the number of men could very well have stayed the same while the pool of men fathering children declined. This points to a social rather than an environmental cause. Between 12,000 and 8,000 years ago, humans shifted to more agrarian cultures with patrilineal structures. A patrilineal society is one where your family group or your clan membership is traced through men. Instead of survival of the fittest in a biological sense, the accumulation of wealth and power may have increased the reproductive success of a limited number of socially fit males and their sons. Or in other words, the wealthy elite fathered lots of children at the expense of poor men. Chen Chen Zheng, a sociologist at Stanford University, and his colleagues point out that within a clan, women could have travelled to marry into new clans, while men stayed with their own clans their entire lives. This would mean that within the clan, Y chromosome variation became very limited, causing inbreeding. However, it doesn't explain why there was so little variation between different clans. But if battles wiped out entire clans, that could have wiped out many male lineages, diminishing Y chromosome variants. Computer modelling has verified the likelihood of this scenario. Simulation showed that wars between patrilineal clans, where women moved around but men stayed in their own clans, had a drastic effect on Y chromosome diversity over time. It also showed that a social structure that allowed both men and women to move between clans freely would not have this effect on Y chromosome diversity, even if there was conflict between them. There's a warning for our society right here. So warring patrilineal clans are the most likely explanation for the bottleneck. The lack of genetic variation in Y chromosomes is less pronounced in East and Southeast Asian populations than in European, West or South Asian, or South Asian populations. This could be because pastoral cultures were more important in the latter regions. The paper was titled Cultural Hitchhiking and Competition Between Patrilineal Kin Groups Explain the Post-Neolithic Y Chromosome Bottleneck and was published in Nature Communications. So, humans almost became extinct several times due to climate change and once because of wealthy elites restricting who could breed and where people could move and how. And they conducted wars between the clans. We tamed fire and invented clothing and buildings to stay warm, and we're so successful in staying warm that we're now in danger from overheating the planet. The fact that ever greater numbers of people die from heat every year shows that we don't have general adaptations for keeping masses of people cool. Air conditioning is expensive to buy and expensive to run, even in wealthy countries. Most air conditioning is currently run from burning fossil fuels, which has to change. Laws about reproduction almost wiped us out in the past, and they could do so again. Some nations have laws forcing women to give birth against their will, and China famously had its one-child policy. Reproductive restrictions can distort society. Distorting society distorts the distribution of genes and can wipe out entirely genes we need when the world changes. 
the next event that massively reduces the population may be the one that humans don't survive. The frontiers of the future are not on any map. They are in the minds of men and in the test tubes and laboratories. There are those who say today that opportunities have ceased to exist. Things are finished. We have everything and not enough. There can be no more progress. In 1844, the commissioner was about ready to shut up the patent office and go home, believing that everything had been invented. In any one of thousands of test tubes of today, there may be a million job opportunities for tomorrow. It's a bewildering future, all right. Not because there are no new frontiers, but progress. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labeled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf, or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.